theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Last Sunday was a really special time and I felt like um, I felt like I left church different. I don't know about you, but I felt like something has been happening at Extraordinary Church over the past few weeks that has um, made us brand new. And very much like it felt like something unnecessary was laid down last week, not to be picked up again. And I received that for myself, and I declare it over you that a new freedom and a new liberty is imparted to you in Jesus' name. We have a powerful opportunity right now at Extraordinary Church to grow, an opportunity to live differently than we ever have before. (laughs) And I'm so thankful. I'm humbled that God would choose us to pour his blessing on, and I'm excited for what he's going to continue to do. There's nothing like being in the kingdom of God. (laughs) If you had plans for your life, and if you have plans for your life, just surrender them and let God do what he wants to do because you will live a life beyond your wildest dreams just following after him. So a couple of months ago, I was at my house and um, I was praying in one of my favorite chairs. Uh, The interns were there. We had summer interns, Abigail, Patricia and Alex, who isn't here right now. We were all praying, and as I prayed, I just felt a very special presence of the Lord in my heart, and I began to see tree branches. But it, it just like, like a vision from God while I was praying. All I could see were these tree branches, but I couldn't really see the tree branches because they were covered with blossoms, the most prettiest pink blossoms you ever saw. There were so many, it just seemed to just cover my my prayer vision, if you would say. And as I saw those blooms everywhere, the Lord reminded me of the cherry tree that I have in my backyard. Um, For two years now, this cherry tree has been producing cherries. It's a young tree, right? So when a tree starts producing cherries, it starts off just little green, underdeveloped cherries. And then the next year, the cherries were kind of red and green. Some of them were fully red, but they were hard as rocks. You know, they just weren't quite ready to produce those mature cherries. And this year, the Lord reminded me of this while I was praying. This year, the Lord said, your tree doesn't have cherries this year. And I knew that was the case. And I thought, wow. And the Lord reminded me that every year I go out there and I get my cutters and I chop chop it back a little because it starts to grow close to the house and it just encroaches on the the porch and the yard and over the fence into the neighbor's yard and I had been cutting that tree back every every year and I didn't do it this year and because of that all of those unnecessary branches had soaked up the nutrients feeding the leaves not giving any room for the cherries to be able to to blossom and come forth. If I had cut away that overgrowth, right, if I cut away the excess, then there would have been blossoms, which is a promise of fruit. But I hadn't. And those, the vision of those blooms, it's still invading my prayer life. 
Like it's still, this has been several weeks, Patricia. I, I remember I was telling you about it. It's been several weeks and it's still like when I'm praying, I still see these blooms and, and I've done some study and research and the blooms really do mean a harvest is coming. <laughs> when you see the blooms on a tree, unless there's an, un, you know, an unseasonal frost or something, those blooms are a promise of fruit. And as I'm praying, I'm praying for extraordinary church. And I say, you know what, God, there is fruit that's about to blossom at Extraordinary Church. There is something that is in the works. There's a harvest that's not just a harvest of more people coming in, but it's a harvest in your life, a harvest of fruit that's going to come out into your life and my life. And we're in that season right now. I do not want to miss it for nothing. My life gets overgrown with stuff that I have to cut back sometimes, but I'm telling you in the name of Jesus that in this season right now, Growth is being handed to you on a silver platter from God. And it's about to appear in your life. We have everything we need here at Extraordinary Church to grow. We have Sunday services where pastors preach in the word and, and we can be changed and transformed. We have midweek Bible connection where we are learning and digging deep into how to be a Christian. We have growth track. We have e-groups. We have opportunities to serve and be connected. There is nothing that's stopping us from growing our relationship with God. And I'm so thankful. God's doing a work. It's time for a harvest. And if you've been pushing to grow, don't stop. Don't stop. Let's not waste one moment. Let's not waste one opportunity. Amen. In Acts chapter 26, we read about Paul. Paul is imprisoned and the rulers of the land are trying to figure out what to do with Paul, right? Paul and his people have been turning the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they have him there imprisoned, and while they're trying to figure out what to do, they say, well, let's bring him before King Agrippa. Let's pull the king out, and let's let the king talk to Paul and, and see what we need to do with Paul and see what Paul has to say for himself. Because they couldn't quite figure out, do we punish him? Do we imprison him? Do we beat him? Do we kill him? They were having a hard time deciding, right? So in Acts chapter 26, verses 26 and 27, Paul starts, Paul had been sharing his testimony with King Agrippa. And King Agrippa is about to respond. It says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Like, do you, do you believe the, the truth that's been told your whole life long? Do you believe what the prophets have foretold? Paul didn't give him a chance to answer. He said, I know that you believe. <laughs> he said, I know. I, do you believe? I know you believe. He didn't even give him a chance. And then Agrippa says to Paul these famous words. He says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. King Agrippa heard the gospel news. King Agrippa was moved by the gospel news. Belief is emerging in his spirit. Yet he made a decision to refuse. I'm glad that the Bible tells us about King Agrippa. The scripture tells us that of all of the historical accounts that are in the scripture, not one of them is irrelevant to us. Not one of them is a waste. Every word, every moment of record, it's been placed there for you and I so we can learn from it. So I'm glad the Bible tells us about King Agrippa. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 
tells us. It says, now all of these things happen unto them for ensamples or examples, right? For examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. We need what's in the word of God. We need those, those historical accounts of what to do and what not to do. I'm thankful for the word of God. It really is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's everything. Amen. So today is about decision making. I want to share with you about drawing a line in the sand for every heart that might be divided today or every heart that might at some point become divided in need of a decision. I am a teacher. I love to teach. I love to help people grow in their relationship with God. And I could talk for hours <laughs> about the goodness of God. I, I love the word of God. And I'm a teacher by nature. So if this seems like a day of teaching, just sit back, take your notes, and, and soak it up. So, But if you'll let me today, I'm going to share with you some information that really will bring about a transformation in your life. And that transformation can happen today in the name of Jesus. Studies would say that an adult human makes about 35,000 conscious and unconscious decisions every day. And today I want to make a good one. When Akil and I got married 23 plus years ago, I know I'm not old enough to have, you know, it's just, we were like six and eight, right? We were so young. <laughs> We were really young. So when we got married, we made a decision between ourselves. We said divorce is not an option. And that whatever sacrifices we had to make, whatever struggle we had to overcome, whatever pain was required to shape us together, we would indeed do that and, and endure that to honor our vow. And Scripture tells us that marriage is a type of Christ in the church, right? We are the bride of Christ, right? He is the groom. He, he is the groomsman, and we are his bride. And you know what? He is faithful to us, isn't he? And I want to be faithful to him because he's faithful to me. Mark chapter 10, verse 9 says, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate You'll see it there, Mark 10, 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So in our marriage, we're keen, and if, if those of you who are married, you're keenly aware of the things that pull you apart, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's not too funny, <laughs> but that we're keenly aware of those things that, that pull us apart relationally, and if we're wise, we make a decision to avoid those things, don't we? Yes, if we are wise. In our walk with God, we're going to have to do the same. Whatever pulls me away from my relationship with God, I have to minimize the level of attention that I give to it. I have to rearrange my list of priorities, and I have to make a decision even to remove that thing from my life for good because my relationship with God is more important than anything else in the whole world. In case you have ever wondered, Satan, the enemy of our souls, he cannot separate Jesus from you. Jesus is with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. And there's nothing that the enemy can do to, to pull Jesus away from you, right? 
Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? If you skip down to verse 38, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things in my present nor things to come height, depth, any other creature, none of this shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is a promise from the scriptures that we can stand on. There is not an eternal, invisible duo between God and Satan over you. Nope. Nope. The only duo, if you want to call it that, that Jesus ever fought over you was fought one time. It was fought and it was won on Calvary when he paid the price for your sins and for my sins, when he purchased us with his own blood and offers to us freely the freedom from bondage that comes with this new life that he offers, right? So the battle that Jesus fought for us wasn't against Satan. The battle that he fought against us was against sin and ultimately death that sin brings. The opposite of God is not Satan. The opposite of God is sin, right? So our decisions, we, we are what separate us from God. Satan can't do that. And that's a, you can breathe a sigh of relief. The enemy can't do it. But you know what? We have that power. Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. But your, mine, my iniquities, my sins separate me from God. God is holy. The angels cry continually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is his name, holy. He is holy and sin is the opposite of holiness, right? It's just, that's what the opposite there is. is God is holy and the opposite of God is sin. The opposite of holiness is sin. That's why he gives us what? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Why? To make us holy. (laughs) Because I can't do it by myself, right? I need the power of the Holy Ghost to be holy. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so we can grow in holiness, so we can be separated from the sin that wants to pull us from God, and we can be withdrawn unto God, right? That's what being, you know, filled with the spirit of holiness is. Satan is not as much determined to steal your praise for himself as he is to convince you and I to consistently choose my will, choose my ways over those of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he can just get me to live for myself, (laughs) if he can just get me to choose my, my way over top of God's ways, then he's done, he's done what he wanted to do. He's chosen to separate us from God. But we have freedom through the preached word that we hear. We have freedom through the word of God that we read, through the power of the Holy Ghost. This word hidden in your heart, the Bible says, I will hide his words in my heart that I might not sin against God. What you're doing today, coming to hear the preached word of God, you're making a conscious decision to hide it, to to put some of this in your heart that you might not sin against him. So your growth happens because you show up on Sunday. And you open your ears to hear whatever God is teaching. Amen. 
So if we want this freedom, we have to choose it, right? God's not going to force freedom on us. I have to choose to, to be free. I choose to be free. In the garden, when Satan tricked Eve, way, way back in the beginning, when Satan tricked Eve, he did not pluck the fruit off the tree, put it in her hand, and then hand, push her hand. He didn't force her to chew it, to take a bite. He didn't do that. She did it herself. He Obviously, he lied to her. He enticed her to do that. But mankind made a decision, right? Everybody look at your neighbor and say decisions. The most selfless and generous gift that God has given us outside of our salvation is our free will, right? The ability to make my own decisions, the ability to do what I want to do, go where I want to go, say what I want to say. It's a selfless gift because even though he paid a price with his own blood, my decision to not accept that and to turn away his love and be lost makes his sacrifice of none effect in my life. So it's very selfless. He paid a price that we might choose not to, not to accept. The gift of our free will is generous, right? Because, wow, I mean, you and I have the authority to say no or yes to whatever we want. <laughs> sounds exciting, right? But it sounds also very frightening, very scary that I have the power within myself to say yes or no to what God wants for me. I can't hide from God's love, but my human spirit can reject and push back his loving kindness and his gentle guidance. In the garden when man sinned, he did so of his own free will, influenced by lies. But God redeems us. He is our redeemer. He is our Messiah, and he redeems us from what separates us from him. And I'm thankful for that today. How do I repay him for, re for his redemption? How can we repay God for saving us? You know what? I can repay him by making a decision. A decision to set my human will toward the kingdom of God. I can make a decision to never look back, to never turn back to my old life, to my old ways. And while the power of the Holy Ghost helps me do, helps me do that, I have to first make a decision to say, I am, I, I'm here. I belong to Jesus, and there's nothing else in my life that's more important than belonging to him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Luke chapter 9, verse 62 in the NIV. Yes, I read other versions of the Bible. <laughs> Pastor teases me because I really like the King James Version, but yes, I read others too. <laughs> so Luke 9, 62 says, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty serious, right? You know, if you're, I don't know if you guys know about plowing, but if you're plowing, you've got You've got a machine in front of you or some horses or mules in front of you and a, and a blade, and you're trying to, you've got to hold on to it. If you're looking back, your horses or whatever critters you're using, they're going to they're gonna go a different direction. They're going to feel what you're doing, and you're going to find yourself making crooked rows and just causing a mess, right? Looking back when I'm on a mission, 
is not prudent, right? I have to keep going. The Amplified Version says, um, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back to the things left behind is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There are things that we leave behind as we grow in our relationship with God. I've got to let them stay there. Whatever it is that I've, I've let go of, I can't pick it back up again. i got to let it go and be a part of my past. We're also reminded in the Bible to remember Lot's wife, right, whose heart was divided. Lot's wife, her, her heart was divided. When she's leaving the burning city of Sodom, the Bible says she looks back. And when she didn't just look back, when you study into the, the root of that, the meaning of that, it means she looked back with longing to go back. The city's on fire, people. Some, she had such a connection to that thing that God was trying to deliver her from that she, she couldn't do it. She said, my choice is to go back. My choice is to choose that. The best weapon you have over winning, winning over the enemy and over your past, it's your decision to not turn back. It's your decision to say, I will follow Jesus, and the Holy Ghost will help you. I can repent, right? We can repent today. I can crucify my flesh, my cowardly flesh. I can rise to newness of life and get in alignment with Jesus and follow him all my days into victory in this life and victory in eternity. And this is what we want. This is what I want more than anything. I want victory in my life, victory over the things that would pull me back. We have the help of the Holy Ghost. You, your decision alone, you know, the part of your brain that, um, that is decision-making, the decision-making part of your brain is also the part of your brain that helps you reason. <laughs> oh, funny, huh? You see the donuts on the table. You're trying to eat healthy. You haven't eaten all day. And here you are, at, you're at work, you're tired, somebody brings in the donuts, and you're like, my willpower says, my decision-making says I'm not going to eat those donuts, I've made a choice. But immediately, the reason part of your brain says, you need strength for the day. Right? <laughs> so yes, your decision is so important. It is a great gift that God gave you, but you need the power of the Holy Ghost. You need, the Bible says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Your decision must be coupled with the power of the Holy Ghost. If the people at Babel, the Tower of Babel that the people were making way back early in the Old Testament, they were building this tower saying, I'm going to reach unto the heavens. The whole people were united to do that, right? They had made a decision to do this. God looks down and he says, you know what? The people are united in this decision that they've made. They're going to do it. Well, that wasn't what God had told them to do. He had told them to disperse and, and go, go create countries all over the world. Just go, just go. So he had to come down and confound their language. That's where languages come from, if you didn't know. They came from Babel. So that's another topic for my teacher heart. But <laughs> save that for another time. But if they were so determined in their decision-making that God said they just might do what they're trying to do, how much more your decision to follow Jesus, your decision, decision to grow, coupled with his spirit, is capable of so much more. Amen? I want that. So I want to speak faith to you today. You can have faith that in your, your decisions for Jesus are going to be backed up with his help. When Elijah, here's another example from the scripture that helps us today, right? 
So when Elijah stood on Mount Carmel, Elijah was a prophet. He stood there on Mount Carmel all alone to defy the wicked prophets of Baal and to declare that the Lord is God. He tells King Ahab, he says, bring everybody. Bring all the people of Israel. Bring all the other prophets who are worshiping Baal. I want them here for this event. He said, because I have a question that I want to ask them. So Elijah's standing there, and all of Israel is there. Their king, their wicked king is there. The prophets who are worshiping false gods are there. In 1 Kings 18, starting at verse 21, says this, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I guess he said, here here I am. It's just me. He said, I, even if I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. He said, I will remain if I'm the only one who is left standing here making the right decision. I want that spirit alive in me. I want that spirit alive in Extraordinary Church that says, if I am the only one who will follow Jesus, let it be. Let me be the only one. If no one else wants to go with me, I'm going. I'm going all the way. I'm going to rejoice the whole way through all by myself. So all of Israel remained quiet. They, they didn't make a decision. They, he said, why are you stuck here between two opinions? They're probably curious. Can I have things both ways? You know, can I maybe worship God and be a part of this kingdom that's wicked? So one version of the Bible says that they were limping between two different opinions, stumbling, faltering, confused, not sure if, should I do this? Should I do that? What decision? So they're limping around, right? Elijah's decision to stand in the face of hundreds who opposed him took a lot of courage, and it took a resolute belief in the Lord God Almighty to back him up. If you know the story, God shows up. God answers by fire from heaven. Praise God. And you know what? You know what the people did after that? They said, oh, the Lord, he is God. Well, yes, yes, I'm glad that they got the answer they were looking for that it would have been really great for them to have made that decision in advance, right? But they didn't. So what I want to tell you about that is that if you need a sign, God will give it to you. He did it for Israel. He'll do it for you. If you need a sign to help you know, we, we have our answers right here in the Word of God. This is all the sign that you need. God will show himself strong. If you need a sign, he'll give it. But your decision is everything. James 1 verse 8 James 1 verse 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. As the children of Israel were about to enter into the promised land, a decision was before them. Would they boldly cross over the Jordan River or would they settle for comfort, for mediocrity, and for what they thought would be an easier life, choosing not to cross but to dwell where they were? When they're there at this river, all of Israel is there, all 12 tribes of Israel. 
And all of those, all of the group, all 12 of the tribes of Israel um, had to make a decision if they were going to cross over into the promised land that God had for them, that he was giving them, promised. We stand on the promises of God. This is a promised land. Like, it's yours. Just come on over the river, and it's yours, right? It, that's, that's not hard. Well, two and a half of those tribes, they said, no, no, I don't think I want to do what God has instructed. Um, that was the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They saw that the land that they were in on the east banks of the Jordan River before they crossed over, they saw that the land that they were in, they said, this is better for us to remain here. You see, we have large amounts of cattle, and this land is perfectly suited for all of my material possessions. Only to find that staying behind was not God's plan for them. They stayed behind, but you know what happened? They fell into captivity, and they were overtaken by the people of the land. They were overtaken by their enemies because they did not decide to cross over Jordan into what God had for them. They stayed and forever battled the enemies of the land. They made a poor decision. So what I say to you today is when a new line needs to be drawn in the sand and you've got to make a decision to step over it or not, failure or refusal to do that will make you unstable. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We're going to limp back and forth. We're going to fall down. We're, we're going to wonder what on earth is going on. We wonder sometimes why um, everything in life seems to stop working. And our progress takes a hit. Um, setbacks seem to pop up. Life, life happens to everybody, right? And sometimes it's consequences of our actions. But many times those things are happening because we're limping. Right? We failed to close a door. We failed to cross over a line. We failed to close a door to the enemy and make a firm and godly decision. And the strength of your decision is so important. We have to do it. This is why the wicked king was able to carry away captive those two and a half tribes that stayed behind. They didn't cross over and became double-minded and unstable and attracted defeat. First Chronicles 5 25 through 26. 1 Chronicles 5, 25 through 26 says, And they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. Right? So I'm going to pause right there. They fell in love with the false gods that, you know, God had taken them from Egypt through this wilderness gets them to the river where they can cross over into the promised land. And while they're there, the very people, the very groups of people that God had delivered them from and protected them as they passed through, they said, oh, we like them. We like it here. They don't know the one true living God, but oh, well, I guess we'll long for their gods. Well, the allure of what's out there was so strong to them. So the Bible says, if you go on, the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria. This is the same person. I'll explain that in a minute. And this king carries them away captive, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he brings them to these places unto this day. 
So a bit of context here is the two and a half tribes chose to stay on the east side of Jordan. They were actually choosing to dwell in a land that God had not given them. They were choosing to dwell in the land that God had given to Ishmael. It was not theirs to overtake. So no wonder they could not overtake it. It was not for them. Their reason was that the landscape fit their lifestyle better. You see, they had a lot of cattle. The east land was rich for grazing. They didn't want to part or risk parting with their possessions in exchange for the promise. They said, these possessions that I have, all of the stuff that, that belongs to me, I like it too much to let go for God's promises. Let it not be said of us. Sadly, they developed a connection with the people of the land who were serving these false gods. Their similarities brought a comfort level and ultimately became a snare unto them. King Paul of Assyria, his name actually means destroyer, right? He was a mighty warrior, and so were the sons of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The Bible tells us that those guys, they were valiant warriors. They were men who were able to, to wear the buckler and the sword and fight uh, valiantly. They could shoot with a bow, and they were skillful in war. So they had a similarity, a natural similarity to the people of the land, and that was a snare unto them. But Paul represented something very wicked and ungodly. You notice he had two names. What is it? Tilgath Pilneser. He gave himself two names. Why did he give himself two names? The Bible says that he took hands with the evil spirit Marduk who is associated with Baal. And he proclaimed himself as the God of the spiritual and the God of the military. And for whatever reason, that's what the children of Israel were attracted to. I can't let that attraction to the things of, of the world just grab a hold of me like that, right? So the price of associating with them was very steep. They should have crossed over. They should have made a better decision I have to pray, you have to pray, not my will but yours be done. I have to crucify my selfish flesh. I have to choose his will over top of my will so that I can fulfill the purpose that he has for my life. Even after arriving in the promised land, more decisions had to be made. Remember, we're making 35000 a day <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> right? Some more, some less. So they get in the promised land. They're over here on the other side of the river, and they realize there's more decisions I have to make. And here we are, all of us in this room, we're in the kingdom. You know, we're, we're here. But it doesn't mean there aren't still going to be decisions we have to make that pertain to our involvement in the kingdom. And our continuance in the kingdom, our growth in the kingdom is going to require more decisions, right? Sonny, it's crazy how, like, we're following Jesus and the allure of sin is still ever before us, Right? Once in the promised land, the people of Israel, they would often slide back or backslide into worshiping the gods of Egypt and the gods of the nations that were right there among them. But Joshua, they, they cross over, and Joshua says this. He stands up, and he challenges them to make a decision. So I'm going to read to you a famous portion of Scripture that might be familiar to you. It's found in Joshua 24, 14. He said, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served 
on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered. Thank God they answered this time, right? (laughs) They answered. They said, oh, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he's the one who brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt. He brought us from the house of bondage and did those great signs in our sight. He preserved us all the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Praise God for that. They made a decision. They said, you know what? When I look back and I see what God has been doing in my life all along, how can I turn away? How can I not follow him? He's delivering me. He's setting me up to be the head and not the tail. He's setting me up to have eternal life. He's setting me up to have victory. How can I stop following him at this point? Of those 35,000 conscious and subconscious decisions that adults make every day, an average of 122 of those daily decisions impact our habits, our routines, and our ultimate course of life. So every day, there are roughly 122 decisions that you and I make that are going to impact my habits, my routines, and the rest of my life. Daily, right? Studies have also found that most people regret 1 in 10, 10% of the conscious decisions that they make. Furthermore, a regularly made conscious decision eventually sometimes falls into the subconscious category simply due to its familiarity, the repetition of the times that you've made that decision, and the habit that you've made of creating, you know, you create a habit by making that decision. It's like coming here on a Sunday. That's a non-negotiable, right? You've, made, you've already made that choice. My Sunday belongs to Jesus. My Sunday is here. I'm going to show up I don't care what the weather's like. I don't care what the vacation plans look like. I'm doing everything I can to get to the house of God. I've made a decision. So Sundays, it's a habit. It becomes a habit. It's no longer a decision that I have to make. Instead, it's just an unconscious, I'm going to be in the house of God all the days of my life to behold his goodness. So sadly, reports are that there's a poor habit of people, and that habit is to give more time and more debate, and more attention to the smaller everyday decisions than we give to the really big life-changing ones. Wow. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus is teaching his disciples. Matthew 6, 24. He says, no man can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate one of them and love the other, or he's going to hold to the one and despise the other, And then he says, you can't serve God and mammon, okay? This is the King James word that I'm going to help you understand. (laughs) Mammon, what is mammon? I have no idea. So let's look it up and find out. So we can't serve God and mammon. The definition of mammon, when you dig deep into the scriptures, it means treasures, possessions, 
or anything that you accumulate that opposes God. So I can't serve God and all of the things that I'm just filling into my life that are just making me so full of all of my possessions. I I can't do both. I'm going to love one and hate the other. I'm going to hold to one and despise the other. God would rather that our decision be a strong yes or a strong no rather than back and forth, rather than what the Bible calls lukewarm, right? Lukewarm just means increased and overladen with earthly things. It means never fully sure, never fully decided, never drawing a line in the sand. There's a song that I used to sing when I was a, I was a kid. Um, you've maybe heard it before. It's called Wholehearted. Um, I'll just sing it for you. I have the lyrics written, but I'll just sing it for you, if that's okay. (laughs) It says, trying to live in two worlds at one time, holding on to all the things that I call mine. Two roads to go, but only one road for me. I've seen both sides. And I'm as sure as I can be. But Lord, I want you to know that this double life is through. And everything, all of me, I'm given to you. It goes on to say, with my whole heart, thank you. Amen. I want to give him my whole heart. With my whole heart, I'm going to love you. With my whole life, I'm going to live it for you. Take my heart, every secret part. I'm wholehearted in love with you. Continues on to say, I'm not divided in my heart anymore because it's you and only you that I'm living for. In the name of Jesus, I declare that every heart in this place is no longer divided, that there is a blessing of of single-minded focus that would come upon us right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I will follow you. I will choose growth. I will choose to not stay the same in the name of Jesus. Musicians, come on up. We'll be finished in a few minutes. As the musicians are coming, I want to tell you about a man by the name of Lewis Moses Rose. And I'm going to ask you, to remember this man. Remember Lewis Moses Rose. Moses Rose was born in the late 1700s and was what one would call a career soldier. Being about 50 years old at the time of the Alamo in Texas, Moses Rose has spent the majority of his adult life fighting in wars, battles, skirmishes, and any conflict near and afar. History says that this man, Moses, was of the caliber of soldier that would eat sawdust to survive for the sake of the mission. He was a committed man. He was a strong man. He had made a decision and was living his life according to it. And I understand that being a Christian, we are in a fight not physical. It's very much like being a soldier. It's very much like standing your ground and not giving in a lot of times. We're swimming upstream against the tide, aren't we? We're never giving up. We're living like no one else so we can live like no one else, right? 
Moses, this man Moses Rose, had developed a friendship with a man named Jim Bowie, B-O-W-I-E. So this man Jim, he was a leader in the army at the time of the Alamo, right? A cool fact about Mr. Bowie, if you're interested, is Mr. Bowie and his family, they were the inventor of the popular fixed blade uh, Bowie knife, right? that it was made famous by its use in like hand-to-hand combat and duels. Perfect for the Alamo, right? Let's just fight it out. So they were, this was this guy, Bowie. So this friendship that Moses Rose and Bowie had, and no doubt Bowie's leadership is what attracted Moses Rose to follow him to the Alamo, right? However, the purpose and the mission of the Alamo was not in Moses' heart. He was just there because his friend was. It wasn't enough to cause, it wasn't, he didn't have a passion for it. It wasn't enough to cause him to remain and fight this battle. And sometimes we're like Moses Rose. And if you're here because your friend is here, (laughs) please know there will come a time when the decision to continue on in Jesus is going to be yours and yours alone. Because God's going to present that to you and say, are you here for me? Because I'm here for you. Lewis Moses Rose is reported to have said this. I've been through too much hardship already. And I simply don't want to continue at such a high price. Fighting a battle that I just don't think we can win. Instead, Lewis Moses Rose walked away by night. No one stopped him. They opened the window and let him down, and he walked off to his safety. Lewis Moses Rose was not a coward. He just didn't believe in the cause enough to keep fighting. He was simply making a choice that suited him better. Moses lived to tell the tale, right? However, don't let his story be your story. In the weighty reality of choosing eternal life over eternal death, or in the weight of choosing to be an engaged follower of Jesus versus sitting on the sidelines, it's not enough to sit safely on the sidelines when a good decision, even if it's a hard one, promises life, joy, peace, hope, strength, purpose, I have to choose to be all in, even if I'm all alone. No matter what our friends are doing, no matter what the person to your right or to your left chooses, I choose to be a Christian. I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to let him shape me and make me exactly what he wants me to be, not what the people around me are doing. I'm going to follow Jesus. You can make a decision today to wake up every morning and declare, this day I will follow Jesus. This day I will worship him. This day I will seek him. This day I will serve him with my words. I'll serve him with my hands. I'll serve him wherever my feet take me. I'll serve him with every talent that he's given me. Your weapon, as you draw a line in the sand, are repentance and the power of the Spirit of God to help you move forward. Moses lived to tell the tale, 
And here is the tale that Moses told. He told of a man named William Travis who stood in the hot Texas sun, sweaty, bloody, and exhausted. As Lieutenant Colonel of the American Army at the Alamo, William Travis stood with his troops and with his dusty boot, he quietly and purposefully drew a line in the sand. He invited everyone present, if they believed in the cause, to step across that line and join him in a fight that would indeed be their last, a stand that would mean their death. One by one, those weary, worn soldiers made a decision. They crossed the line. They stood with William Travis, and they said, I believe in this. Let's see what happens. How many of us have been following Jesus for maybe even a really long time? We know about the work that's being done in the last days by the church, but we've yet to join in the battle. We've yet to consecrate our lives for the cause of Christ. We've yet to consecrate our lives for service in the kingdom, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the noble task of making disciples. We failed to, to point our tents toward the tabernacle. We failed to align our hearts and our lives and, and everything that pertains to us toward the kingdom of God. And instead, we're looking my own way my own preference. We're content to sit on the sidelines, listening to the reports from the battle, hoping for a story to tell. If you have been on the sidelines at all, you've been there too long. I have made my decision. I have stayed my claim. I have drawn a line in the sand and I won't be afraid with the world behind me and the cross before by the grace of God I will serve the Lord I have made my decision I have staked my claim. I have drawn a line in the sand. And I won't be afraid with the world behind me and the cross before. By the grace of God, I will serve the Lord. Somebody's making a decision today. Praise God. Come forward. We're going to begin to pray and seek the Lord. When Colonel William Travis made that decision to draw a line in the sand, he sent out a letter declaring to the rest of the army who wasn't there and to the families that were going to be left behind. He declared to the whole nation that we will not surrender even if it means our death. He crossed a line and made a decision. His written declaration became a, a battle cry.
the troops that hadn't, hadn't joined. So people came from far and wide to join this battle and ultimately bringing about the success of the American army in this war. It's said that in the three months later, when the battle was won, that the, all of the recruits that had come together, even though they were outnumbered two to one, they were outnumbered two to one. You know what they did? They ran right into the fray of this battle crying, remember the Alamo, remember the Alamo. I remember the day that I drew a line in the sand. I remember the day that I made a decision. I want you to remember a day that you made your decision to draw your line in the sand. The fighting will continue. I've appealed to every brave heart here today, but there are some of you who are here in this room today, you're still unsure. You have yet to test or prove the faithfulness of God. You're just not sure if you make that decision, if he's gonna back you up. You've not known yet the benefit of placing yourself fully in the kingdom of God and drawing a line in the sand. Let me share with you what you have to look forward to. Crossing the line into the kingdom of God means unrestrained access to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Crossing the line into the kingdom of God, there is fellowship with him. He is God alone. He is not dead. He's alive. He is a living God. He's not an idol that can't be touched and felt with, with what we're going through. He loves us and cares for us. Being a part of the kingdom means that you get to have a personal relationship with the Lord of glory. We become his sons and his daughters and we're permitted to walk in his authority. We're permitted to walk in his victory. We have to make that decision today. It all rests on this decision. A line must be crossed and we cannot look back. So today as we prepare to sing all over this room, there is, imagine there is, there is an imaginary line right in front of you. I don't care if you're sitting in the back or if there's not enough room to come forward, that's all right. There is a line and Jesus is wondering if we're gonna step across and step in. Am I gonna make a decision? Am I gonna stake my claim? Am I gonna draw a line in the sand and never be afraid and never be ashamed? So today I challenge you, to step across the line in the name of Jesus. Because tomorrow, I challenge you to remember the day that you stepped across the line and you said, I'm not turning back. I'm not going back. There's no allure of anything that will pull me from the purpose and the focus that I have of following after Jesus. I remember the day I was baptized in his name. I remember the day that I knelt down and said, God, forgive me of all of my sins. And I felt the love of God wash over me. I remember the day when I was 11 years old and I stood in a youth camp wanting to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. And the nice lady came and prayed with me and she said, God's gonna fill you with his spirit. And I believed what she said. I remember that day I spoke in other tongues as I received the Holy Ghost today. You're drawing a line in the sand. Lift your hands across this room. Jesus, Lord, in the name of Jesus, right now, God, I choose to step across a line into service in your kingdom. 
I choose to cross over a line into saying, God, I'm going to enter into a relationship with you. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care who stands with me. I don't care who stands against me because I know that I know that I know that this is the decision I have to make. Hallelujah. I know that I know that you will uphold this covenant that I'm entering into with you, Jesus. I won't turn back. Oh, I won't turn I've back. been changed. Heals. Oh, right now in Jesus' free. name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.